All right, welcome back to a special episode of the Movie Babble Podcast. This time you've got Nick and I as we're talking about the week we spent at the Sundance Film Festival. Uh, we were there for the first week of the festival, so we got to be there for opening and way, opening night through about halfway through and got to see a ridiculous amount of movies. I know I saw 19. I think, Nick, you said you were around 21 or 22, right? 22, and I'm still tired from it. <laughs> Yeah, I think most days, I, I think the first two days I did two or three, and then I did like four four movie days in a row. Um, and it was quite the experience, exhausting, but it was worth it. Got to see a lot. Um, saw a lot more horror movies than I thought I would, uh, just never having been to Sundance before. We got to see, I'd say overall, most of the movies I saw were, were what I'd say are good movies and just had a great time watching all of them. Yeah, and me doing the most, like the last day we were there, I, I saw five movies, and then we, we saw a Bad Hair at Midnight, which was a, was, was a trip. And then, then I woke up at like 8.30 for a screen the next morning, like three hours of sleep, just feeling just terrific. And yeah, <laughs> just doing the most, just trying to get as much in as possible. It's, it's just really cool to be there. I, this is my second year there, and it was just it's it's just so much fun you're just around people who are just so genuinely excited to see movies at all times and it's cool you meet some peers yeah a lot of movies it's uh it's really really cool i saw i think i would agree too i saw most of the things i saw were really really good or at least just interesting at the very least uh yeah it's i really love how sundance just kind of puts their slate together because it's they're looking for ingenuity and creativity and people with distinct voices and it's just yeah it's there's only one movie on my list which i'm sure we'll get to which was like a thing that just had nothing going for it whatsoever but uh yeah it's just it's, it's just an awesome week park city is great yeah it was it was a blast just i mean even standing in line you just meet literally thousands of people that are all there to watch movies and talk about movies and uh, you just like run into celebrities walking down the street and they're just kind of surrounded and immersed in that environment. And just, it's absolutely crazy, but it's absolutely amazing. What was your final celebrity count? Was it like three or four? Ooh, uh, that is, it was a long count. It was more than that. Uh, I think like close to 15. I saw yeah. like quite a few. And then, I mean, I did some of the press line stuff, which was cool. Just got to talk to the cast and crew of Horse Girl. Uh, before the premiere, uh, which was cool because I'd never really got to have a conversation like that with um, big level creatives, I guess you could call them. Uh, and it was absolutely amazing. Like I was in a concessions line with Tessa Thompson, which was cool. Saw Vigo Mort Mortensen crossing the street, which was uh, kind of interesting. Saw <laughs> a decent amount of Game of Thrones actors, which can't complain. I actually saw Moises Arias from Hannah Montana at the airport, which was just kind of crazy. Um, but yeah, lots of celebs. Yeah, I didn't. I I struck out this year. I mean, I think last year, yeah, I ran and I also ran into Tessa Thompson. So I guess she just really loves Sundance, which is kind of fun. <laughs> um, but yeah, except for the Q and A's, it was just kind of just, I guess, just me all to myself. <laughs> but but it was I yeah I, I had so much fun this year. Um, I actually think I had more fun with the, the slate that I watched this year than last year, strangely enough. Maybe that was, I did I did better at planning or anything like that, but um, I thought this year was just really cool, uh, just all around. You really, you just can't go wrong. I mean, the, the festival high at Sundance is definitely a thing. <laughs> I made sure not to, like, succumb to the elevation and, like, all the hype from people just so excited to see movies that you, you don't leave every screening saying, this thing is amazing and it's going to make all the money. Because that's definitely like, there's a, there's at least like ten movies at a Sundance where everyone's like, oh, this is going to be such a big deal. Um, so I think I I think I was better at just handling my expectations this year. But it's just it's just still so much fun. Yeah, I think I was definitely a little starry eyed uh, coming out of it. And there there's some movies that I've thought about a little bit more, and I'm like, yeah, I probably shouldn't have rated it that high. Um, but overall, I just saw a lot of great movies and kind of like you said, everything was just really inventive and imaginative. So even if it, it didn't really work, they were still doing a lot of interesting stuff that you don't really get to see in most mainstream movies. And so I'm, I'm down for pretty much kind of like you said, all but one movie that I saw, I would watch again. 
<laughs> yeah, you want to get into it? I don't know. Just go through these categories, run through them. Yeah, I uh, don't want to talk about that movie yet, but <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't want to either. We'll, we'll we'll hold off on that one. We'll start off with some lukewarm movies. Uh, so these movies are the most okayest movies, which has kind of become a staple category of all of our breakdowns. Um, so this is a movie that is neither good, neither bad. Um, it just kind of is. Uh, for me, it was the movie Downhill, which is a remake of Force Majeure, and it's starring uh, Will Ferrell and Julie Louis-Dreyfus. opens in March in the States, um, and it's, it's a very okay movie. I think, for me, what worked the best were the performances, because, I mean, Julia Louis-Dreyfus has kind of proven her dramatic chops with Veep and just a lot of the, the smaller projects she's done outside of Seinfeld, whereas Will Ferrell... You don't get to see just a lot of dramatic work from him. And I think the directors, uh, uh, Jim Rash in particular, uh, really kind of helped push Will Ferrell to not be himself and to, to have more of a dramatic side. So I think that really worked. But I don't think the script for this movie worked that well. Um, they have just kind of nuggets of, of some interesting concepts they're trying to get at in the husband and wife and the family dynamic there. Uh, but I don't think it really comes to fruition because there are just a ton of elements in play. And um, it's, you know, it's a remake of what's widely regarded as a really good movie. And it's been Americanized, which uh, doesn't always work. Yeah, at least I I still like this choice from Will Ferrell in general. I mean, I, I didn't get a chance to see the movie and I'm looking forward to it. But I, 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 do, I do like when he does a little bit of the more dramatic stuff. And I, I mean... He had a really bad run there with comedies. It was like, what, Holmes and Watson? And right before that <laughs> was something terrible. Get Hard was in there somewhere, too. Like, <laughs> I really like this choice for him. Uh, I, I, I also really like that movie, uh, Everything Must Go, from like that he was in a few years ago. I, I think it's another one of his dramatic turns, I think, is actually pretty good. But, um, yeah, I, I, even if this movie, like you said, it's not entirely successful, I, I kind of hope that he takes more choices like this. Yeah, and I think he just kind of had bad commercial luck with it. So even if you look back at like 2006, he did Stranger Than Fiction, uh, which was pretty well praised, but just didn't make a ton of money. And I think it's just hard for general audiences to disassociate Will Ferrell from Will Ferrell on Saturday Night Live. And that's why he gets stuck with things like Holmes and Watson and Get Hard, because that's what audiences know him as and they, they don't really trust him. But I think I think downhill really straddles the line between comedy and drama well enough that it can kind of open people up to his dramatic chops a little bit more. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to it when it comes out here. Um, but I guess my movie is, uh, the glorious, which is weirdly, it's a, this is a big time movie. I feel like, so it's, it's the Gloria Steinem biopic, uh, based on her own book that she wrote a few years back. Um, it stars Julianne Moore, uh, Alicia Vikander is in here. Uh, they play; they both play uh, Gloria Steinem at different points in her life. Um, they don't really look like each other, so that's kind of like a weird, <laughs> just tonal, like jarring, like visual thing right off the bat. Um, but this movie is—it's another. It's like a, a wash, rinse, repeat of like the general biopic that we've seen so many times, where it just kind of plays the hits of this really famous person's life, uh, just. I mean, with Gloria Steinem just being really uh, prominent in the women's movement and her early years um, working as a journalist and doing all these uh, marches and things like that. Um, she has definitely a lot of interesting stuff to get at. Uh, but this movie is just a lot of, oh, like, this is when she taught how to do public speaking because she was scared of public speaking. Okay, moving on. All right, this is when she started working with Native Americans. Okay, moving on from there. And it, it's... There's a th the through line of this movie is kind of weird because it's the movie Gloria, so it's different points of her life, and they all meet on this uh, metaphorical uh, bus that's kind of taking them through uh, throughout. I guess they're out of time together uh, on the same journey, and it's just like they talk to each other. Like Alicia Vikander will talk to Julianne Moore, the older version of herself, and um, I get <laughs> I get what the movie's doing, but it's. Uh, it's probably the most on the nose kind of thing you can do. So, and there's also like weird, like interstitials and things like that, where like, um, 
the the movie itself gets kind of just strange and there's like a there's a very bizarre uh, allusion to uh the wizard of oz where a person who's like kind of talking out against women gets caught up in like a big tornado it's it there's like these little weird things and they also they look really cheap um and or just like they're kind of weird or off-putting uh, or just very obvious so it's it's a bummer because i feel like the director of this movie is julie, julie Taymor, so it feels like there was definitely attempts to make this more than a standard biopic, but like all those attempts just, <laughs> they just kind of failed uh, in my, in my estimation. So this movie is just, yeah, it's just, it's just kind of there. It's, it's like, like we mentioned with this category, it's just, it's perfect for this. It's just, it just exists. Um, but I don't know. Uh, I think this people, this movie actually got a really like, they got people a standing ovation, like one of the few standing ovations I saw uh, at a screening. So maybe I'm just not the audience for this movie. Who knows? Um, but it's getting iffy reviews, and I'm kind of one of those iffy uh, reviews as well. So yeah, it's not even. It's weird because it hasn't even gotten a distributor yet. You would think that just this kind of big time movie would get would like maybe like Searchlight or like a Netflix would come in and buy it. But there's a nothing yet. So it's kind of it's kind of weird. Just kind of floating out floating out in the ether. Yeah, um, it's one that I didn't get a chance to see, unfortunately, but um, I, it's it's I've heard kind of the same thing. It's just, it's an okay movie. Yeah, it's 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 kind of perfect that it hasn't been purchased yet because it's it's just it's just there. It's fu- it's fine. Like you see all the you see all the beats. You see her as like you see her as a young as a young kid and getting advice from her dad and it's it's just all like the stuff that, like you grown out and we're like why is this a thing in in biopic still um so yeah just people i guess people you like like Julianne Moore and Alicia Vikander are just kind of elevating fine material at times but yeah it's 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 whatever <laughs> All right, so if we'll move on to our next category, which is the most what the fuck movie. So this is a movie that is just wild, um, or just just as something that's kind of out there. So Nick, I'll let you take the lead on this one. Holy shit! All right, so um, this movie is uh, entitled Possessor. Uh, this is one of the most insane movies I think I've ever seen. Like maybe ever. Uh, I don't think that's the, the the Sundance Elevation talking either. So uh, this movie is directed by Brandon, Brandon Cronenberg, so uh, David's son. Um, it's hard to it's hard to describe this movie, uh, or, or at least to get the feelings that you get from this movie by the plot. So um, this movie stars Christopher Abbott, um, Jennifer Jason Lee is in there, Andrea Riseborough as well, uh, Sean Bean too. Uh, it's fun fun to see him, um, but. This movie is kind of about this shadow organization that they use. Basically, what they can use is they can supplant someone's consciousness into another person and thereby use that body as like a vessel for contract killings. Um, and then so they they get a huge sum of money from who, God knows who, and then they go out and kill somebody, and that person and uh, kills like the vessel that they're using to kill all these people so it closes the loop and then their consciousness goes back into their own body and then it's over and they start all over again um so really interesting kind of thing there with technology and kind of you see a lot of david Cronenberg uh in this movie as well uh from brandon um but the way this movie is captured visually is kind of the most stunning and grotesque like thing you'll ever see um i'm i'd be shocked if this movie wasn't an nc-17 rating um when it <laughs> when it finally gets a rating, it's, it's so violent. Like the first scene is just like a hundred stabbing. It's like in a row. And it's like, Oh my God, like, what is this? And like, they show the, like the transfer of consciousness from one body to another. And such like a fascinating, like it's really disturbing and gross. And like when obviously like there's things start to break down when the consciousness, so it's like people starting to freak out and it's, Oh my God, it's, just so gruesome and there's like there's a big plot because of like all these crazy like corporations like there's a big part of like voyeurism and like corporations like seeing everything you do so there's like just like full frontal nudity and it's it's just all over the place but uh, so I think like 
my guy on our staff, Chris Van Geek, who just loves horror and genre stuff, like this movie was like made for him. <laughs> I kind of want him to review this movie when it comes out because I want to <laughs> see how much he loves it. Because I really think it's like the perfect thing for him, and I really liked it too. Uh, it's one of those movies that's like it's throwing so much at the uh, at the screen that I don't know if it goes like necessarily like deep enough on one particular part, but it is. It's it's one of those visual and like just like sensory things that you'll never forget um i'll never forget watching this movie it's it's really insane um yeah this was one i didn't get a chance to see um but my pick for this category is a little film called zola uh which you and i actually got to see together uh which was just an absolute trip um so it's it's based on a twitter thread from a few years ago about a stripper who goes on a just completely batshit adventure with this girl she just met who's also a dancer that leads to like one of them uh doing something that is definitely prostitution uh, <laughs> that the other wasn't aware was going to be prostitution and it's just wild there's not really a thematic point to this movie but it is an absolutely bonkers trip as you're just like going through this and they do some really fun stuff breaking the fourth wall and just having the main characters narrate against each other at one point in the movie and just like following uh, word for word, the tweets. So like for throughout the movie, you'll hear the little Twitter ding every time they say word for word, what was said in one of the tweets. And it's just crazy. Like there's so much insane stuff that happens in this movie and you're like, okay, it can't get any crazier than this. And then two seconds later, just the most bizarre thing will happen. And it's just, I think this was the movie I laughed the most at. I think this is one of the movies that the audience was the most like into during the movie. Um, like it was just absolutely insane. <laughs> oh my god! The the girl to the right of me, I think she was in tears the whole movie. Like she was laughing so hard at like literally every joke. Like she was like by the time she was like stopping laughing from one joke, she just like started up again. Oh my god! Like yeah, like this movie. It was this was. This is one of those movies that was really fun to see in a really packed house, like because everyone was just super into it. And like you said, like it just, like it just keeps building and building, and there's crazy shits going on. It's one of those definitely like stranger than fiction tales. It's just, it just you need to see it to believe it. Um, yeah, it's <laughs> and Riley Riley Keough is in this movie. Uh, she's like one of the dancers, and she's so good. Like I love her, and I think every movie I've seen her in, like she plays this really like ditzy, like southern, like really southern, like and basically like stupid <laughs> like stripper almost. And she's so good, and like seeing her in something else like uh, like The Lodge, which is like actually weirdly is a movie I saw at Sundance last year and just coming out this coming weekend. Um, like it's just so different um, yeah I, she's like tremendous I love I just love <laughs> I can't get enough of her in this movie yeah I think I've really only seen her in Logan Lucky um, at this point and just it was nice to see her just take such it's not really a dark turn but it is at the same time uh, with, with her character in Zola it was just you know in a really really incredibly bad and just messed up position in life <laughs> um, but also like this movie is is very lighthearted and fun um for the most part i mean it does definitely have it has its dark moments from from time to time but i think it just moves along really quickly you know it's not a super long movie and it's just absolutely hilarious and bonkers from beginning to end yeah and this this is one of the the two a24 movies that played at sundance so i've i think there's i mean immediately you have the merch bros who are going to be excited to see this uh but i think this has a chance to be like kind of one of those another one of those a24 hits where and i think this one's a little more accessible than like some of their more arty stuff um so i think this one could kind of build word of mouth um uh, i'm excited for this what what, like general audiences like how they react to this because it's 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 nuts it's it's something yeah this this is quite the movie (laughs) (laughs) Um, so we will move on to our next category, which is going to be in a pretty similar vein. Um, and this is the indiest movie. So a movie that just screams indie, feels like something you'd view at a festival, feels like something that was written with a heavy amount of psychedelics. Um, and we actually have the same pick for this movie, which is a little movie called The Nowhere Inn, um, which is... <laughs> 
a uh, realistic fiction movie, I guess you could call it, um, about St. Vincent, who is the singer and musician, and Carrie Brownstein, who you might recall is the, one of the stars of Portlandia. And this is just a movie about their fictional relationship. And it starts off pretty normal, and it's just completely out there in indie within about two minutes um like this movie is a trip um because you have both these characters playing fictionalized versions of themselves and then uh annie clark who's saint vincent is playing a fictionalized version of the fictionalized version of herself uh for a good chunk of the movie and it's got a lot of documentary elements as they kind of switch between this documentary that they're making inside the movie as well as the movie itself and there's just so many like really crazy wild twists like somebody has a fake family at a certain point in the movie <laughs> uh, which is just probably the most fun i had at sundance was during this scene uh where there's just this fake family in the middle of texas eating pecan pie and, and jamming <laughs> out <laughs> um and uh there's just like this whole gag where everybody starts wearing these saint vincent wigs and you know, there's one point where somebody's like reaching into the head of somebody through this wig and just only finding more wig. Um, there's so many just really creative but out there elements to this movie. Uh, but this is the indiest movie I saw by far. Yeah. And it's one of those, I don't really want to like spoil a lot of what happens later on in this movie because there's some just incredible like either cameos like the one, the one cameo in this movie is like one of my favorite cameos like ever in a movie like i i'm being deadly serious i think it's the funniest thing um yeah it's i went to the like the, the midnight premiere of this movie and um the they went up the director uh bill Benz went up there and they talked about how yeah they wanted to mesh uh, a mockumentary, uh, mockumentary that ultimately becomes a Nicholas Rogue movie, which is that sentence is also just one of the most indiest things like ever. Because uh, <laughs> just like I feel like every like indie director or like creator of some kind just loves Nicholas Rogue, and um, you definitely see a lot of that at the end of this movie because it gets so surreal and strange and so departed from reality. Um, it's it is uh, like <laughs> like Zola and Possessor. It, it's a trip through and through. Um, and there's so many great performances in here. Like Annie Clark is just <laughs> amazing. Um, and there's some really great, um, really great uh, like concert footage as well because they actually do that part of this. Is <laughs> they they do the actual concert part of this documentary and it's great. It it kind of just blows everything out of Miss Amer- Miss Americana out of the water, which. I actually just saw it. This movie kind of ruined that movie, uh, Miss Americana for me because it's such a hilarious take on uh, a, a singer kind of doing this on the tour documentary and trying to like capture these real truths and things like that. And it's just, it just, it just slanders that so good. Oh, it's, it's just really great. I love it. It's so great. Yeah. Like this movie is a trip. I think like this and Zola would make such a great double feature. Um, like it's just yeah, strangely they <laughs> would, right? Yeah. If you want to get weird and have a good time, the nowhere in is is where you need to be. Absolutely, couldn't agree more. Um, and so with that, we will move on to our next category, which is best horror movie. Uh, so at Sundance, they call it the midnight section, which is typically horror movies, uh, which they're actually quite a few of i I didn't really expect that much horror going into the festival uh but had a good time with it so nick i'll let you take the lead on best horror yeah so my best horror film yeah like so there's a lot of really interesting horror movies that i saw here i think i think my favorite uh, there's one that's not quite a horror movie so i'm saving that for later but um the one i really liked was la llorona and it's it's not the curse of la llorona from part of the conjuring <laughs> universe that came out last year. It's, it's a much better movie than that. Um, well, yeah, this I've never seen like, this is, so it's, this is using the, the, the La Llorona like folklore tale. So that weeping woman coming to like the idea of coming to steal your children. And that's been used in, in central America as just a, t- a tall tale for years. Um, it's using that and it's molding it into this really interesting, 
um, plot where one of the lead characters was a, was a general in an army and he's on trial for possibly committing genocide uh, in Central America. I think it's Guatemala, if I remember correctly. Um, but it's the this Lyrona character is kind of used as retribution for for a lot of like the harm and like all the sorrow that was created through like this genocidal act. And there's a lot, a lot of rioting. It's a very, it's a highly political movie, and it's in that sense it's really fascinating to kind of use uh, use uh, this kind of maybe more pulpy, fun like like horror uh, figure and weaving it into this really just grim and serious tale of politics and human rights. Uh, it's, it's really, really fascinating. It's, it's one of the movies that's really stuck with me quite a bit since I've seen it. Yeah, this was one of my favorites of the festival as well. Um, just because it really elevates the, the folklore and the myth of La Llorona without being really campy and cheesy with it. Like, Unfortunately, it is in, in most Hollywood adaptations. Uh, looking at you, Conjuring Universe, um, but it actually like it takes the origin of the character, uh, which I, I don't want to spoil it, but is a pretty pivotal scene in the movie, and really spins that into this modern narrative where, you know, the weeping woman is really isn't the focus, which is is what makes this movie work. And you're just analyzing, just kind of like you said, a lot of politics in this country and this general who's been responsible for well may or may not but definitely is responsible for genocide um and just it felt very uh timely and just just really politically aware of the world right now and i think it it does what horror movies should do and that's really dive into some of these nastier thematic notes and thematic issues yeah, it, but, it uses yeah. It, yeah it's sorry. What well, it uses the that character La Llorona, it, it it really is like in the background, as you said. So it's it's just kind of elevating like that the anger and like the frustration. It's kind of building like throughout this movie and all the riots and whatnot. Um, it's it's really it's really fascinating because it's it's building a lot of tension without being like very like a like a all out horror movie for a lot of this movie. A lot of it's just people being scared about a riot outside their really expensive house. Um, but the way this movie is filmed you just kind of feel that little piece of dread at all times. And it's like, it's weighing on all these people and making them like just confront all of the, like the past, like wrongs that they've done. It's, I think that this movie is really well crafted. I, I really, really liked it. Yeah. And I agree, but I actually had one horror movie that I enjoyed a little bit more than this, and that was Relic, uh, which is a movie I didn't intend on seeing at all. And then just by several strikeouts <laughs> trying to get into other movies and just the way the festival works, I ended up there for the premiere um, and was just absolutely floored by it. So this is a movie. It's an Australian movie, and it's about a woman whose mother, uh, elderly mother, goes missing and then mysteriously reappears. And it really just touches on a lot of generational issues. So it stars uh, Emily Mortimer as the woman, and then her mother and her daughter uh, are the other two characters. And it really just hits at a lot of generational issues and passing the responsibility of care and you know deals with the dynamic shift of, of daughter become, becoming the mother and just kind of these generational scars that we leave on each other and a lot of the tension between that and you know the kind of that stereotype of most families where the grandmother loves the grandchildren more than the than the actual children and it's just all blended really well together for me and i think on top of that it, it's just pretty tense and scary and it's creepy and it's it's one of those trapped in the house kind of movies and just the set work was was wonderful and and just all all the ways they played with such a small location and played with just such a small cast. I absolutely adored this movie. And another thing that was even cooler about it was the director, uh, Natalie Erica James. This was her first full length feature. So it was a, a really strong debut for, for her and just a really strong note for everybody involved. Yeah. It's, this is a movie I, I was 
disappointed I couldn't check out. But th- this is kind of why I love that Sundance kind of really plays with the genre a lot more than you expect. Because it's just, they use, like, like it's like this really, like, from, from your description, it's this really, like, like dense and, like, thoughtful dis- discussion of par- of like family and parenthood and lineage and all this interesting stuff, but it's packaged in this really kind of accessible, like strange and disturbing kind of present that a lot of people can get into. And I just really appreciate it. Cause I mean, sometimes you're going to, there's going to be a lot of quality attached to these films, but since they kind of are, they really appreciate a lot of different things coming from a lot of different creators that you kind of have room for a lot of these really just cool, like even with why you're on like these really just interesting, like, dressings of like problems that a lot of people share it's it's really it's really great it's tremendous yeah and the closing sequence is one of the most like just creepy and disturbing images i saw at the festival and it just works beautifully so relic was actually one of my top movies of the festival and, and definitely the best horror movie And so with that, we will move on to Best Drama, uh, which, of course, is about dramatic movies, uh, which I really expected to be the bulk of what I saw at Sundance. And just by strange twists of events and uh, the fact that most of the movies I saw were at night, it ended up not being a category I saw a lot of, but I still saw some pretty solid entries. But I will let you take this one away. Yeah, so... My my pick here is Minari, which is the other A24 movie that played here at Sundance. It, it won the Audience Award and the and the Jury Award for Best Dramatic Film or whatever, however they phrase it. But um, yeah, this is this is my favorite movie of the festival. I I love everything about this. I'll be shocked if this movie isn't in my, isn't in my top ten of the year uh, when it's all said and done. Um, it's another one of those movies. Um, it's so unlike possessor but also <laughs> it share it shares a lot of um similarities when when you kind of describe the plot of it it doesn't really like do all the feelings you have in this movie justice so uh, this movie stars uh steven yoon um great i love he's a tremendous actor and this is a korean language film uh, it's about a korean family who moves to uh the farmland in arkansas from california and they're just kind of one the the Stephen Yoon plays the dad and he just wants to go and make a farm and kind of create his own like his own farm after being a, his wife and him were work as chicken sexers for so long and he just kind of wants to build his own thing and take care of his family and everything like that um and so that's kind of the baseline of it but it kind of it spreads the wealth around tremendously like each one of these uh family members so you have the the wife and uh dad played by Stephen noon you have two kids a uh you have a, a son and a daughter and then you have also have a grandmom in there as well they they all have their own really their own arcs and interesting kind of details that, that run throughout the story and it it's a really fascinating kind of um convergence of a discussion of the american dream and also an immigrant story so kind of about like what kind of like like this like this this like this discussion of like the east versus the west and like what you need to hold on what you need to hold on to to succeed um in the in the states if anything at all um and it's it is so like you're gonna cry so many different times and it's also a really good thing about family and kind of just building like a strong foundation for just living a good life with the people you love um the kid in this movie, uh, the son, uh, Alan S. Kim, he's going to be a, sen- a sensation on film Twitter immediately when this movie comes out. Uh, he was prancing around uh, Sundance in a cowboy outfit the entire week. It was just tremendous <laughs> stuff from him. Um, yeah, it's the feeling. The feelings you have from this movie are so strong. It's it's really it's tragic. It, it lifts you up to like the highest degree. It's also really goofy. Uh, there's some of the best dick jokes I've seen <laughs> in the movie in a quite a long time or in Minari. And it's like this really soulful, like thoughtful drama. Um, yeah, this movie just kind of runs the gamut. It has a little bit of everything. Um, all the things I really love in a movie. Um, I can't, I can't recommend this movie enough. It's, it's, 
I think out of all the movies that I've seen, I think this one's going to be, we're going to be talking about this one for quite some time, either in awards or just afterwards. Yeah, this is one that I tried to get into, but couldn't get into. Um, I think through either the press screening or one of the public screenings, uh, but it's definitely one that I'm waiting to check out. Uh, but for me, I think the best drama I saw was Worth, which is a Michael Keaton movie about the 9-11 Victims Fund. Uh, this was another movie that I didn't have any intention of going to see until I was sitting in the theater. Um, I actually couldn't get into the Boy State documentary, and then Nick texted me and was like, hey, there's space over here, so I booked it <laughs> over there and saw Michael Keaton movie. Um, but I think this movie was just really well put together. Um, I mean, it's it's in kind of the same vein as Spotlight or The Post. Um, it definitely has the feel of those movies to it, uh, which, you know, they're by different directors, but, you know, same thing. Um, and it, it just works. I think it paints a different side of 9-11 and kind of the fallout from that. It doesn't really linger on the typical 9-11 movie beats, which I appreciate. It, it does some different things with that chapter of, of history. And it also just takes its time to get on more of a personal level with what's going on. So you actually get to spend time with Kenneth Feinberg, who's the character that uh, Michael Keaton plays and is, is based on the real life uh, Feinberg, who was the special master of executing this fund on behalf of the government. And it really, I think it, it just hits its emotional beats very well. And it hits its historical beats uh, commensurately. I, I think it's just really well put together. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I, this movie hasn't stuck with me quite as I would have liked it to, but I, I do agree like through and through with a lot of what you said here. I think I can't tell what accent Michael Keaton is doing in this movie. Um, and I, I think it might be Boston. It might be New York. I, I really can't tell, but he's still like really great. Like, he has a really good presence as this lawyer who's really trying to it's he's he's got like this impossible task of finding like because all these uh, victims of that are going to be taken care of in the 9/11 fund like there's so many things of like oh well I'm like ch- tangentially like connected to this person who died like I should be able to like get like get help and things like that and so it's it's like the impossible thing of like where do I draw the line and who do I give help to and for how much. Um, there's actually a scene early on where <laughs> it's very on the nose where uh, Keaton is in a classroom and he writes on the board like something to the effect of what is your life worth? Um, so uh, that's kind of what this movie's getting at, like putting a price on like such just awful like events that happen to all of us. It's in that sense, it's really it's it's pretty fraught. And I appreciate all like all the things that it kind of gets into about just like being like doing good and draw where to draw the line. And uh, I think it's, it's one of the better Stanley Tucci performances we've seen in a really long time. I just feel like he's been in a lot of directed video stuff and we haven't really seen him like really act in a while. Um, so it was really nice to see him. He kind of plays like this um, activist who's against the fund and he, him and Keaton have a lot of discussions full of the phil- philosophical variety. Um, yeah. This movie, I think, it's not one of my favorites of the festival, but it definitely, it, it's very well put together. Yeah. And I also really like this movie because they mentioned my hometown in the first scene. <laughs> so, uh, any movie that, that mentions Wichita, Kansas gets a, gets a plus one in my book, but yeah, it's, it, I kind of agree. It's not something that I've really found myself reflecting on a bunch, but I also didn't see, a lot of what I would consider just straight drama. And again, it just comes back for me to the fact that this movie is just really well put together. Um, there's not a lot to complain about it. And so with that, we'll move on to the best performance category. This of course is the best acting. Um, if, if best performance didn't give it away. Um, <laughs> but for me, I have a, a serious one and a not so serious one. Uh, so my not so serious one is Anne Hathaway during the the last thing he wanted Q and A. This is a movie that <laughs> Nick and I will touch on a little bit later. Uh, but there was a Q and A after the premiere, and it was one of the most awkward things I've ever sat through in my life. Uh, just as the moderator was asking the cast questions, the cast was 
dodging this question somewhat and uh, just uh, really <laughs> exaggerating how much they like the, the writer-director, which I'm, I'm sure she's actually a wonderful person and that part wasn't made up, uh, but just their dodginess towards the movie Anne Hathaway wins uh, best performance for that. Um, but I also saw a movie called Blast Beat, which was one of the other Spanish language films that I saw. Um, and this is a movie put together by Moises and Mateo Arias, who are both former Disney Channel stars um, or Disney XD stars in the case of uh, Mateo. Uh, but this is a movie about these two brothers uh, immigrating from Colombia and just struggling to figure out suburban America. So the older brother in the movie, who's actually the younger brother in real life, which is kind of odd, um, wants to work for NASA. And so that's a, a big chunk of the movie is this immigrant student in you know America trying to make it into literally one of the hardest fields and hardest jobs to ever get. And then you have Moises Arias plays the younger brother, who, weirdly enough, the character has the same name as the older brother in real life, which was just kind of confusing, um, but he's just angsty. Uh, this was the angstiest movie I saw, uh, but it was really intense, and I think both of these actors who are really known and have really, for the most part, only done more kids, kids stuff, um, I think this was a good testament to the range of, of their abilities, and just it's hard to keep this much pressure on throughout the entire movie because this movie is really just yelling at you for the first hour and 20 minutes. And then there's kind of 10 minutes a piece at the end. Uh, but I was really impressed with how they were able to keep that intensity going from scene to scene. Yeah. I, I, Moises Arias was incredible. And in one of my favorite movies of last year, which was Manos. Um, and he kind of has, a similar, I, I I haven't seen the movie, so but I assume like a similar thing of intensity, where he's he kind of like takes on like this animal like uh, quality at, from time to time, and, and yeah, I, I I'm interested to see what he does because I think he's a really from watching Monos, I think he's a really talented dude. So it's it's it is really cool to hear him kind of see the big branch out with that kind of role. But um, I for my. My choices here, uh, I, I have a tie because I'm a coward and I can't choose. Um, so my first one was Christopher Abbott and Possessor, um, just because, holy shit, he's, he is doing so much in this movie where um, uh, Andrea Riseborough is kind of uh, taking over his body and his consciousness is fighting her consciousness. So he's going back and forth between two different personalities, acting like a little more feminine, a little more masculine at times, and like his – like entire being is kind of ripping apart at the seam. So he is just freaking out at all times. And it is, uh, it, it is something to watch. And he's kind of, it's, it's like, it's like 50, honestly, like 15 different performances. Cause he's just doing so many different things in each scene where he's calm, cool and collected before things go nuts. And then he's freaking, then he's freaking out with Andrea Riseborough's consciousness kind of taking the lead. Then he's freaking out with his own consciousness, taking the lead. Uh, it's just, it's one of those meta things where it's like a performance within a performance, like within another performance. It is, it, 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 it's so nuts. I think genre people, genre fans will really dig a lot of what he's doing in that movie. Um, my other one uh, is Carrie Mulligan and Promising Young Woman, which um, the movie itself is definitely one of my favorites of the festival. I think probably in my top three. Uh, and she is just fucking incredible in it. So the movie, uh, the trailer is actually released for it, um, but it's about a, about a woman who, uh, pretends to be just sloppy drunk at bars. Uh, she stumbles around and slurs her words and kind of has trouble like staying awake or at least she acts like that. And then um, she kind of preys on these like so-called nice guys uh, who just take her home and they obviously have not so great ideas about what, where, where the night's going. And then at just the right second, she reveals that she was like coherent the whole time and it, just kind of puts all these people in their place. Um, so it's, it's this really interesting revenge movie um, that kind of just plays with conventions. Cause uh, I won't spoil it, but the use of violence in this movie is really interesting. And I think it's going to cause a lot of discussion. And um, the word, uh, the word rape is never uttered in this movie, which is also a really interesting choice. And there's a lot to pick out there as to why um, it's used, but um, specifically with Carrie Mulligan, um, 
she's another one. It's another one of these performances where, where she's shifting from so many different things where she's at one point, at some points, cause this movie is like really campy at times. Like she's um, kind of playing it up and being really silly. And there's other times where she's just a full blown movie star where it's like, Oh, like why isn't Carrie Mulligan in more high profile things? Like she's incredible. Like she has such an incredible presence to her. And then other times she's just really freaky and kind of digging into the, like the thriller um, side of this movie. Um, yeah. She's really all over the place and in a great way. Um, so I think both of these performances are like a lot of like the most acting, but also there's a lot of great stuff uh, underneath it as well. So they're, yeah, they're both just tremendous. All right. So next up is best documentary. So I struck out on two of the four documentaries I tried to get into. <laughs> so this was a pretty easy call for me. Um, and that is a thousand cuts, which is, uh, it's actually quite a multifaceted documentary. It just dives into a lot, a lot of things. Uh, but the primary subject is the news website, Rappler and Maria Reza, its founder and leader. And it just talks about a lot of the corruption in the Philippines and with Philippine President Duterte and how he basically just murders people, um, which is crazy. Um, just to think about the fact that that's going on in the world just so blatantly. Um, and it talks about just a lot of the struggle between his government and between this website and news platform Rappler and just how they've tried to keep the reporting uh, going on and how the government has really tried to take them down and discredit them and, and spread uh, fake news and how they've gotten celebrities on board and really just turned a lot of the political leaders in the Philippines and the celebrities. Like there's several sequences in the movie where one of the governors just sings Bruno Mars at his, <laughs> and it's, it's hilarious. But then you think about the fact that this guy like literally just goes out in the evenings and helps kill people. And you're like, Oh, maybe that's not so funny. But then you, just really understand just the power that these people have over over the citizens of the nation and just how they're winning despite doing just such grotesque things. Yeah, this movie's really good. And uh, yeah, it gets into the kind of like the fight between government and press. And it also gets really into it. It, it mentions the, the whole Cambridge Analytica scandal at one point and how like fake news and like all these things spread. And you just... Like it just feels like your stomach drops because it's just such like an awful thing to see, and it's like it's it's such a rude awakening. Um, yeah, this this movie certainly has a lot to say about just politics in general and authoritarian governments. Um, I yeah, I really like this one too. It's really sticking with me. Um, I, yeah, I really really loved it. Um, but uh, my choice uh, is actually the last movie I saw at the festival, and it was like probably like the best way I could have possibly ended it, which is uh, Dick Johnson is dead. Uh, this is going to be a Netflix documentary. So um, I'm looking forward for like, I hope this like finds an audience like as some like Netflix things do. I hope it pops somehow, but um, it takes, it's the uh, document documentarian. Kinda, it's, it's following her. Um, it's Kirsten Johnson and she's uh, who did camera person a few years back, which is a really acclaimed documentary, but she, she's following her dad, uh, Dick, who is kind of, he's kind of coming toward the end, end of life. And she wants to um, kind of just capture his, maybe not his last days, but kind of just like him towards the end of his life and kind of like build like a, a log of all the memories of him. And it's, it's, it's one of those things where it sounds really sweet, but also just like, oh my gosh, this is like gonna just be so punishing and terrible to watch, and uh, we're gonna like see people die, and it's it, it, you go into it with your reservations of like, oh, like this is just gonna be like dreadful to sit through, um, but they they tell it in such a funny way. So like, Kirsten, uh, Kirsten Johnson sets up um, just fake uh, Hollywood style stuntman deaths with her dad. <laughs> so the first the first death um comes out of nowhere it's one of the funniest things i think of i i was out of my seat howling uh it was so funny i don't even want to ruin like the how the death because it comes out of nowhere but uh it I, this so the, the entire the, a lot of the movie is um just following uh dick johnson kind of around uh, as he's like moves to get closer to the rest of the family maybe when he has to give up the car and stop driving and then it's also 
cut together with these really hilarious and zany like fake death scenes where there's there's uh, blood packets and blood spews everywhere and uh, all these really strange like strange visuals. It is it's really hilarious and then it also has these moments where it's just like so <laughs> just terrible and sad to watch and I I cried a few times during this movie. Not gonna lie, I think I cried like five times. It's it's really emotionally harrowing, um, really beautiful and thoughtful um, in a lot of ways. Um, it's funny. Uh, it's so many. It's it's one of those things where it's a really it's morbidly hilarious and has a really good uh, outlook on life in general and finding the humor in it uh, before it's gone. So um, yeah, it's it's just great. It's it, it battles with Minari as my two favorite movies of the festival. It's it's just so good. I love every second of it. Yeah, this is one of the ones that I tried to get into twice and struck out both times. <laughs> uh, but it's definitely, I'm glad it's a Netflix movie, and I'm definitely excited to check it out when it does hit. Yeah, it's, I really hope people see it. Like, just go see, if I, I think I like Minari more, but if there's any movie that I want you to see, go see this. Documentaries need support a lot of the times, and it's, it is just wonderful. It's less than 90 minutes, I believe. Um, yeah, even... Even my screening, I had a, it was a 9 a.m. screening, and it was almost impossible to get. I think it was entirely full. I was one of the last people in. It's it was it was a really. I think it's one of the, it, like Minari. I think is the is like the big winner of the festival. But I think Dick Johnson is right there as well as one, the movie that everyone could not stop talking about. Um. So yeah, it's it is it is just a delight in all senses of the word. Yeah, um, and so that almost leads us to the the end of our categories where we have uh, two more we want to hit so we've got uh, our first category is going to be honorable slash dishonorable mentions so these are just some extraneous movies that we want to bring up uh so i will let you take the lead on that one yeah there's there's a few there's a few there's a lot, there's so many good movies i feel like i wanted to mention like all 22 of the movies i saw in some way <laughs> one that was really good was never uh, rarely, sometimes, always about a 17-year-old girl just trying to get um, – she's pregnant and she's on – she has to travel to New York, New York with her cousin to get an abortion. It's a really harrowing, just really um, – it's just – it's really good. It's not – it's one of those – it doesn't um, – it's, it's really interesting to watch it because it, it doesn't – it's not uh, – it's very genuine in how it – treats this uh topic it's there's not a lot of frills to the filmmaking it's very stark and a lot of locked off shots it's it's not cold but it's just it's it's very natural it's very naturalistic um and it just kind of by by capturing this like quest for an abortion honestly it has a lot of emotional uh, resonance to it and that that movie comes out in march and i think there's definitely i want, want to talk a lot about that movie as we get closer to it uh, but i think my choice here is the Night House, which sold uh, to Searchlight, the newly uh, minted Searchlight Pictures, uh, for like a really high sum. I think it was like twelve million dollars or something like that. Um, I think this movie is a it's a really fun ride. It's a horror movie. It stars Rebecca Hall. Um, basically, she is a a widow. Uh, her husband just committed suicide, and she's all alone in her house. Um, and then she think she starts to feel these disturbances uh and more and more and um it's a very familiar setup and i think a lot of the things about grief and it are pretty familiar um but it's it is really fun and it's the it's one of the loudest horror movies i think i've seen in quite some time like the when the no horror sequences happen they happen with a wallop and there's one scene where you think it's going to be like some sort of um gradual wake up from like a sleep or something like that and it just it feels like all like all hell breaks loose and just like all this like cacophonous sound everywhere it is such a crazy experience but um yeah so this is the whole movie is just kind of her um kind of interactions with whatever this entity is maybe it's her husband maybe it isn't and she's coming like coming to grips with oh maybe there was kind of a secret side of his life that she never knew about um and it's it's like a part of a thriller, part drama, a lot of horror, a lot of really good jump scares. Um, this movie was just really fun. I had a blast with it. It was, it was just, yeah, I, 
it was one of those things where I was like, holy shit, that was great when I left it. And I think a lot of people will leave that when this movie hits theaters. Um, it's waned a little bit in my estimation, but um, it's, yeah, it's so much fun. And Rebecca Hall is just so terrific in it. So for my honorable mention, I'm going with Horse Girl, uh, which was the latest Jeff Baina, Allison Brie collaboration. Uh, it's the third movie they worked on. And it's it's pretty much your typical Jeff Baina movie. It's just really absurd and dark comedy um, mixed with some dramatic elements. It's about a girl who believes she's being kidnapped by aliens every night. And it's just a it's just really funny and just really bizarre and, and wild kind of the thing you'd expect uh, out of the two of them. But it also just touches on a lot of mental health and just relational and uh, relational topics and just looks at how we as a society lack empathy and how we lack empathy towards the people we should have the most empathy for and it it says a lot you know there's definitely some complaints against it that it doesn't get super deep into uh, all the mental health topics it should uh, but overall I, I think it works and shameless plug if you want to check out my review that's on the website just talking about a, this movie's a good time. It'd be, I think, even though it doesn't dive super deep in anything, I think it, it dives well enough into some interesting subject matter and it's just a really solid partnership that continues to flourish. Do we want to talk about the last thing you wanted? I don't really want to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, our uh, dishonorable mention for the <laughs> second time on this podcast, we have the same movie for a category and uh, this this is a movie that somehow exists, so it's actually based on a book, which I didn't know going into it, uh, that is a fictionalized retelling of the Iran-Contra affair, just without the Iran part, so it is the Contra affair, um, but this is, uh, I, I really don't even know what to say about this movie, just because it is so awkwardly put together, and there's just lots of things happening, and very few of them seem to actually connect and they just, I, I don't know where to begin with this movie. <laughs> yeah. I, I texted you right after we saw this movie, we were like kind of separated, but watching it in the same screening. And I, I literally texted you like, did I just have a stroke? Cause I literally, I don't have, I have no idea what this, what's going on in this movie. Um, it's one of those really bad mo movies that it makes so little sense that you like, you're straining to, like focus and like figure out like what's actually going on you're like oh i think i'm missing something like it gets to that point where it's like oh maybe it's my fault <laughs> like this this isn't coming together like i don't know maybe the elevation got to me or whatever um but by the end of it it just it's so baffling um and yeah this movie it's, it's directed by d reese who did mudbound for netflix a few years ago which got a ton of oscar nominations and it was really good and Anne hathaway is the star of this movie ben affleck is uh is there, <laughs> I guess. Uh, Toby Jones is also there, and uh, Willem Dafoe uh, plays Anne Hathaway's um, dad. Uh, Rosie Perez is in there as well. It's this just killer cast, and it doesn't really amount to anything. It's, yeah, based on a Joan, Joan Didion novel. Um, it's really hard to kind of explain what happens in this movie, because I don't, I'm not quite sure. Uh, I guess it's sort of... Uh, uh, Anne Hathaway's characters following, like yeah, like you said, this Contra situation. It's going on in, uh, I guess it's Central America. I don't, I don't even, I don't even remember. Um, but then her dad gets more involved into it, and then she kind of like gets more more than she bargained for, and kind of gets wrapped up in all like the, the stuff going on, and and wherever she is in this jungle, and she gets trapped, and uh, it's uh, yeah, I don't really know what to do here um <laughs> i was so confused watching it i i i literally thought it was my fault and i had like had too much to drink or something that i couldn't put this movie together it's so baffling yeah it was it was just a tr like an absolute train wreck just beginning to end there are just so many things happening and it's it's really hard to tell if this was more of a writing misstep or an editing misstep because it feels like there were some solid ideas in there somewhere, but they're just so buried in so many other ideas that just pop in and out and characters that'll appear and then disappear. And, you know, there's a lot of just kind of on the nose political 
action going on in the first 20 minutes of the movie and then you you never touch on any of those characters ever again and it's just i i don't know what happened with this movie but i'm curious to know if it wasn't for the fact that i have to think about this movie more (laughs) i feel like this was because netflix is kind of either notoriously or however you look at it like they kind of like let their creators go like do whatever and i wonder like d reese who um everyone seems to like it's kind of what anne hathaway <laughs> was doing so good at during the q a just saying how much she loved d reese and not talking about the movie itself um but like i feel like they were like all right just like go off and do your thing and they like she like shot something that didn't quite cut together and they were maybe like in editing afterwards they were trying to do some tricks and like there's definitely like there's some moments in that where it's like they replay dialogue like as like someone's like remembering it so like that you try to like like it helps you put the plot together but it just it just doesn't work and then Ben Affleck is there in the first ten minutes and he just shows up in a random scene uh, like like forty minutes later and then he just kind of shows up and with Dan Hathaway I don't even know like it's yeah it's yeah Rosie Perez is just like a person in a chair the whole time and Willem Dafoe just kind of disappears and then the movie's over and you're just kind of like sitting there scratching your head like <laughs> like what is this <laughs> like what, what what am i supposed to take away from any of this it's yeah it's it's one of the more baffling like mixtures of like really good talent and like really bad like final product that i've really i've seen in a, in a while it's it's really it's really kind of incredible in that way yeah uh what a movie <laughs> um, <laughs> what a picture <laughs> no but not really <laughs> yeah um good luck with this one uh dear listener it's 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 quite the event just to to watch everything just kind of crash and burn um <laughs> but with that we will move on to our final category which is top five so for the most part nick and i have kind of already talked about these movies already so i'm just gonna start and run through my top five there's really only one that i haven't spoken about yet just because it didn't really fit well into any of these other categories Uh, but my fifth movie was a thousand cuts which was the documentary about maria Reza rappler and the corruption in the philippines uh coming in at number four was the nowhere in which was just an absolute trip i had so much fun with that movie i can't wait to find it again uh, Horse Girl, which I really just enjoyed the brand, and I'm a little starstruck because I got to view the press line, and I'll pretend like that didn't have any influence on how I liked the film, but it definitely did. <laughs> um, and then uh, the only one I haven't talked about on the list is actually my number two, which is a movie called Come Away, which is a movie that I have no idea who they made this for because I can't see it really selling to any audience in particular. Uh, so it was listed under the kids section, but it is more mature than a kid's movie but not quite mature enough to be an adult movie but it really plays with the worlds of alice in wonderland and peter pan in a way that really just got to me as someone who grew up reading those books and watching those movies and just i really enjoyed the world that was built here even if it doesn't really know what maturity to build it towards and then my number one was relic which is a film that just blew me away and and part of that is because i didn't really have any expectations going into it didn't really plan on going into it uh but i just it's just hauntingly it's just it's very haunting uh visually and they do some tremendous work with audio in the movie and you know they make really these really small non-scary sounds the most terrifying things you'll ever hear and it's just absolutely brilliantly directed and put together yeah, I, I'm I'm really bummed out. I didn't see that movie. It seems like everyone who saw it really liked it. Uh, so um, it's definitely on my radar for whenever it comes out. Um, but I guess for my top five, um, we share some. We share the Nowhere In, which I had at five. Uh, just really wacky and bizarre and hilarious, and also um, also a little scary at times. I thought I was a little unnerved at least when it starts to get super um, just non like just super surreal and wild it got it, it got me a little it was a little off-putting at times in a great way um at number four is kind of the movie i mentioned earlier um but not as much as the others which was uh, never rarely sometimes always uh which is uh, just a really just well put together just really thoughtful movie um yeah i i really want to 
go into this movie more in depth, maybe in, in a review that hopefully I get a chance to write because, God, I have so many reviews to write <laughs> for Sundance. But um, number three is Promising Young Woman, which I mentioned before. Just really terrific, really wicked movie that um, just defies what you would typically see in one of these movies. And um, Because, like, Blood Revenge is just such a pretty tired trope in thrillers, and it's just also not realistic and it's pretty superficial and how it deals with a lot of its themes but uh, promising on woman manages to bypass that and talk about sexual assault in a really interesting and thrilling way um kind of reminds me of parasite in that way where it's it's really wicked it has a re- it's a little mean streak to it and it's genre ish but it also has really interesting things to say that are really fraught and complicated um so i, I love that movie a lot uh, my number two is uh, Dick Johnson is Dead, as I mentioned before. Just really heartwarming, crushing, uh, just everything wrapped into one. And then finally, Minari, which I mentioned before, is my number one movie. And it's, like I said, it's just a whirlwind of emotions. Just You're so high at some points. There's a few moments where, it's this, this movie has one of my favorite scores of the last few years, where... Um, there's moments where Steven Yeun is just kind of tending to the land and the sunset is in the background and like the score is playing. And it is just, nothing is really happening. Like maybe he like, maybe he smirks at his uh, field hand, which is uh, played by Will Patton in a really interesting uh, performance by him. Or it's just him just kind of working. And it, but it is so beautiful and astonishing. And um, I can't, uh, I can't stress enough how great uh, the kid Alan S. Kim is in this movie. One of the best kid performances of the last few years, maybe the last decade. He's just, just so incredible in this movie. Uh, but yeah, Minari is, Minari I think is one of a kind and one of those movies I'm gonna think about for a really long time, uh, maybe in the next few years to come. So it's yeah, it's just it's tremendous. Yeah, and that is the Sundance Film Festival for 2020. Um, it was awesome uh, just getting to be surrounded by so many movies and just getting to see a lot, talk to a lot of people and, and uh, babble on. <laughs> we will uh, definitely be back this Sunday talking about uh, birds of prey. The DCEU is getting weird. And as always, you can check us out online at moviebabblereviews.com where we'll have a lot of these movies up and, Uh, The ones we don't have upcoming pretty soon.